I'm Mark Caro, and welcome to episode 53 of Caro Pop, which means this is the first episode of the second year of this podcast. We're kicking it off with a fantastic conversation with a fantastic musician and person, Scott McCoy. This is a musician's musician, someone who has learned how much he is loved by his colleagues and audience members. To McCoy, making music is like breathing, something he does naturally all the time. first became known for his good-humored, energetic, hooky Seattle band of the 1980s, The Young Fresh Fellows, and has continued to work with them as well as Deep Breath, Tuatara, Tired Pony, The Minus Five, The Venus Three with Robin Hitchcock, The Baseball Project, Filthy Friends, Author Buck, Luke Haynes, The No Ones, and more. Many of these projects have featured his close friend, Peter Buck of R.E.M., a band with whom McCoy played on stage and in the studio from 1995 through its final album in 2011. McCoy also has released solo albums under his own name and Scott the Hoople. He has collaborated with Jeff Tweedy and Wilco, and he and Buck co-produced and played on Alejandro Escovedo's 2016 album, Burn Something Beautiful. McCoy was on tour with Escovedo's band in November 2017 when he suffered a stroke on a San Francisco sidewalk and wound up in intensive care for weeks. The news spread fast among musicians, friends, and fans. And by the time he was able to tell his wife that he didn't want any fundraising efforts or benefit concerts, people already had rallied to raise money to pay his medical bills and yes, to plan a benefit concert. Peter Buck was at his bedside throughout, helping Scott find his way back to listening to music and creating music. By the time of the Scott McCoy benefit concert, Scott McCoy was able to take the stage to play a few songs. Nine months after his stroke, I was thrilled and relieved to see McCoy playing with The Baseball Project, a lineup that included Peter Buck and Mike Mills on their mini tour that took them to the club space in Evanston. In 2019, The Minus Five released the album Stroke Manor, a captivating, disorienting swirl of pop rock reflecting the confusion McCoy was feeling and the sometimes nonsensical words he was scribbling into his notebook soon after the stroke. He still is not 100% back where he was, yet he has resumed his musicaholic pace. He's completed two albums awaiting release, the fourth one from The Baseball Project, recorded with producer Mitch Easter in North Carolina, and the second album from The No Ones, his band with Buck and a pair of Norwegian musicians. The first advanced song from those sessions, All the Stupid Days, was released in late September and is a super catchy jangly tune that'll embed itself instantly in your head. Our conversation covered a lot of ground, from his early days as a music fan and the surprising role that a certain song about monsters played in his origin story. How do McCoy and fellow guitarist, singer-songwriter Steve Wynn feed off one another in the baseball project? Is he someone who writes music or lyrics first? How does he decide which songs he's writing for which band? What is his writing process like with Peter Buck? What was it like playing on R.E.M.'s Monster Tour, during which drummer Bill Berry suffered an aneurysm? How did that band compose and record its songs for its follow-up album, New Adventures in Hi-Fi, while on the road? Was it a surprise when Barry left R.E.M. before the recording of the album Up? How did McCoy feel upon hearing Jeff Tweedy name-check him in his song, Let's Go Rain? 
has he processed the outpouring of love and support he has received since his stroke? Is there anyone who actually hates his guts, or vice versa? To put it in baseball terms, Scott McCoy goes deep in this Carol Pop conversation. Catch it. You take the bad times with the best and keep on coming back. I'll keep coming back. I have this super catchy song in my head now. This thing, All the Stupid Days by the No Ones. Uh-huh. I- I really like it. It's like it's like it's like the perfect jangle pop song and like one of like the 55 bands that you're in. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I guess know. this is the most recent thing you've released and it's really cool. Yeah, great. Thank you. I, I love it, too. It's a it's a really cool song. And the, the album that it's coming from is is awesome, I think. So um, it's just a little little brief teaser of it. But um, the advanced single. Yeah, it will. There's, I think, I think now it's they kind of do a new thing where it's you put out like two or three or four singles before the record comes out, <laughs> right? So, so it's like this is the first one, September, the record's coming out in March. So, it's, um, you know, it's quite in advance, and there'll be another one in November, another one in January, another one in, wow. you know that kind of the, thing but the the long rollout yeah exactly which is good because nobody really knows who our band is nobody knows who the no ones the, the no ones are <laughs> um you know even though it's me and peter it gets confusing with all the 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 many bands we have together you know well i'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you acknowledge that because it's yeah. it, it is because it's like okay how many different bands are you and peter buck in i should actually just ask you that how many bands are you two in um that's a good question there's the minus five the baseball project two lou canes peter buck um filthy friends four uh the no ones five those are all currently active (laughs) of course rem isn't so active tuatara was another one um minus the venus three yeah venus three yes arthur buck which is now defunct (laughs) um so yeah there's i'm probably forgetting some too it's very very possible but uh but yeah that's that's at least five that are still active (laughs) so and so in the no ones is the two of you and then two members of a norwegian group uh I was the king. Uh, I was yes. a king. I was a king. How many albums have you recorded that have not been released yet? Because I can think of at least two now. Well, there's three. There's three um, right off the top of the the head because there's the No Ones, the Lou Canes, the second the second Lou Canes Peter Buck record, and the second No Ones record. Uh, right. The Lou Canes one is coming out in October, and the the. Um, no one's comes out in March and the baseball project. We have a, a new baseball project record. Done right. Too. The one, yeah. the one you did with Mitch Easter. Yes, exactly. And that's, that one's really great too. That'll probably come out in, in the spring. We're, we're trying to hustle to get it out really quick, but it's, we're, we kind of got into it pretty late for next year, but I think it's, it's going to come out during the baseball season and hopefully early on in the baseball season. It's a perfect way to kick off the baseball season. Yes, it gives it gives us hope as opposed to you know whatever bad moves our teams do in the off season. 
Yeah. Oh, the, you mean the bad moves that the world is making? <laughs> well, that too. That's that's a whole other it, thing. It will it will distract a little bit from that, but probably not enough. <laughs> I know it's escapism. Well, I, I was I was imagining you and uh, Steve Wynn kind of arm wrestling now, and who gets to write the Aaron Judge song? Um, well, I, I leave that to Steve because Steve is uh, he's the Yankees guy. He's the Yankees guy. Yeah, yeah. Although you know, it's funny because on the upcoming album. I wrote a song about Vin Scully and that's totally Steve's Steve's turf, you know, cause Steve is a, a lifetime Dodger fan. He grew up with Vin Scully and he's always been his favorite guy. And, and I'm a giants fan. So I hate the Dodgers, <laughs> but I love Vin Scully. So I wrote a song about him. So I, I kind of, kind of got in on, on Steve's turf there, which probably, probably should have left it to him but but it was a good song it came out really nice <laughs> it was and you guys got to you guys got to advance release that one when uh, yeah yeah topical peter, peter, sadly yeah yeah peter peter and i wrote that one that was uh that was a good one so when did you record the no one's record in 2020 and 21 you know long distance we didn't get together it was it was during pandemic you know because our record our first record came out right as the pandemic started right uh, and so we had to cancel all our dates and everything like that and uh so then we just took solace by recording a bunch of new songs by just writing them uh Frodo would send me send me tracks and i would write lyrics to them and peter and i would write songs um we we threw them back and forth and just did it that way and Arnie and Arnie and Froda actually went into a studio at some point in uh, in Norway in Oslo and uh, and they recorded like ten tracks with drums and guitar. So it kind of has a live feel, even though we pieced it together. <laughs> right. It still, it still sounds a little bit like a band's playing, which is really really nice because I think they really captured a really good vibe with the drums and guitar. And then Peter and I added a bunch of bunch of stuff, and we went back and forth a lot. So, it, the record came out really, really good. I think it made a real difference that they were able to go in the studio and play together. So it wasn't like just we're all doing it solo, you know? Right? Yeah, two and two is better than one, 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 and one. Yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And you know the 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 Luke Haynes records, of course, are both done totally like. I mean, Peter and I would start those songs in my studio playing guitar with drum machines, and then we send them to Luke, and then Luke will write lyrics to him and add stuff. And then the last thing we get done on both of the Luke Haynes records is having Linda come and re record drums <laughs> right. in, in my house, which isn't the recommended, <laughs> the re <laughs> recommended way to do things. But You mean doing you know, the drums last? Yeah, no. Yeah, we, we got we to work with what we got, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> Now, how do, you, how do you and Peter write together, and how does that differ from how you write on your own? Um, well, we don't really write together, as it were, so much. I mean, we, we have done that, but typically, Peter comes with a... He is, his songs are fairly fully formed, and uh, he'll just come over and we'll, we'll put them put them down on the uh, pro tools or whatever. And uh, then I write lyrics to them basically, you know, so, so most of the, most of the songs we write together are him writing the music and, and me writing the lyrics, but 
you know, it varies occasionally. Um, like, especially with the Lou Kane stuff, some of those songs, we did kind of create them together over here. Peter would have an idea, I'd have an idea, and we would kind of um, carry out the music and then send it to Luke, and he would write lyrics. So, so it's not quite as collaborative as you might think, but it's uh, it, it's the way it works for me. I'm not I'm not really that good at coming up with things on the spot. You know, I kind of need to have my little private world to uh, right. to get into. I, I'm not really good at spouting off things in front of other people. You know, like some people are really good at that. Um, but and I'm, I'm I'm very jealous of that. But um, but that's just the way I work. Especially now, it's it's harder for me to think of words now. Everything because I'm just not as my brain doesn't work quite as well as he used to. <laughs> yeah. Did you have a specific place where you go to, you know, write whether, whether it's words or music? Um, not really. Um, it, it's, it's all contained in my little world here. I, I do it down here in the basement, but I, I also, I write a lot of words uh, upstairs in my red easy chair and the, uh, <laughs> in the living room, lots, lots of them come in bed when I'm in bed. Lots of lyrics, actually lyric ideas actually come when I'm walking walking mm. around in the neighborhood. You know, I, I get a lot of ideas for lyrics. Lyrics have always popped into my head when I'm walking or driving too sometimes, which isn't quite as convenient. <laughs> you, you still carry a songwriting notebook around with you? Yeah. Yeah. Typically, typically. I mean, um, now it's, it's a little easier because you can, I can talk into the phone or, or write on my phone or whatever, you know, if I get an idea, but, um, but I still, I still have, I still have notebooks, notebooks going everywhere. <laughs> so when you're writing on your own, do you tend to be lyrics first then? Yes, I do. Um, I'm not sure why, but it makes me, when I, when I have a lyric, it, it gives me ideas for music, you know, it's, it's, it's the opposite of a lot of people. A lot of people get a melody and a chord progression and, and uh, that's the first thing. But with me, it's it's pretty much the lyrics are always the most important thing, and the and the thing that I start with. Um, I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if it's like it's if it's if it's the best way to do because I I think I'm 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 a little weaker on 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 mel melody than than that's that's kind of not my forte in songwriting. Um, and I think it's because. I start off with words, you know, and then I just jam them in, jam them in over <laughs> whatever, uh, as many words over as few chords as possible. That's my, that should be my songwriting uh, legend. But you do have a really good innate sense of song craft and, you know, keeping them concise and the structure and, and the melodies too. I mean, you have a lot of yeah. catchy songs. It's interesting because there are, obviously there are some people who are music first. I think Steve Wynn said he was music first but then i just saw glenn glenn tilbrook just just in you know just to happen to see him in concert last week and i was thinking about how he comes up with all these really inventive melodies and chord changes and stuff but he's working from a template of the lyrics right. first right as elton john does exactly exactly and now i'm kind of been working in the opposite thing where with froda froda comes up with really great melodies uh, with the no ones and he'll send him he'll send a a chord you know uh, him playing guitar with a melody singing over with kind of made up words or just la la la's or whatever and so it's 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 makes it doubly hard because i'm i'm not only trying to to make words to fit 
the chords, but also to fit into a melody. So that's really right. like a like a puzzle, like it's finishing a puzzle, you know. And um, so I find the words that I write for the no ones to be a little bit different because they have to fit a melody. Whereas Peter's usually you're just the chord progression, and I can go wherever I want with the melody. Interesting. Um, so that's a so that's a different thing. So so for some reason, when I write to um, a melody already, it's it gets a it's a little it's a little trickier. So it takes me a while to get the no ones songs. Um, it's, songs. it's probably a little more math mathematical because you got to fit it, it into those spots. It, it is. It's it's like it's a, it's like a math mathematical puzzle kind of it's really weird but i you know i have to kind of like make sure that i get the emotion in there and everything too and so right. um so i i think um i think it worked out pretty well with this this latest no one's kind of has a theme so so that helped me because it, it was i mean it's not that different from the theme for most of my records but <laughs> but you know it's it's kind of like a more specific thing where it's like i'm singing about the, the love of music and and the whole life of being in a band and being a musician and and being um, influenced by by music from from the from a really young age you know from from like when I was nine years old or eight years old or whatever to where I'm 60 years later when I'm still doing kind of the same thing you know but um so so it's sort of the no one's record is kind of a a story of of that you know of, of a love a love affair with music kind of thing you know great topic yeah so so the song that's out all the stupid days how did that one come together then that one actually was written before i got the concept for the record because <laughs> that one that we, we wrote that um that was like the first song we wrote for this record it was peter uh i i came up with it um Frodo had sent, it was a demo that he'd sent and I came up with the lyrics and we were, we were getting ready to go over and tour um, in 2020. And so we thought, well, it'd be nice to have a brand new song, you know, to, that we can play live because we, you know, we only had one record to play live then. We had an EP also. So we had, we had, you know, like 18 songs or 19 songs, but we wanted to, so we just thought, well, let's have a new song. So I wrote Peter Frode and I wrote that and uh, and Peter and I demoed it I think and everybody loved it so we're like okay that's great so it's a new song so that one kind of came beforehand so I changed the lyrics a little bit to reflect but it was already kind of built in what I was so it's a it's a little it's not so much a celebration of 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 a love affair with music it's kind of about being pissed off at at being a loser and not doing everything with you with what you could have done with a musical career and breaks that you've got and stuff like that um so it's it's sort of a rueful song but um i don't know if it comes across but i think it did so somebody somebody who wrote about it when i when we just put out the record last week the somebody somebody got it so i think i think the lyric <laughs> came across because because mine are always open to interpretation you know they're not really that that concrete you know they're they're they're, they're they're intentionally a little bit vague sometimes. I always like it when songs have kind of a sort of a dark edge to them, but then the music has this bright thing that's yeah. sort of counterbalancing it. And so it's like sort of this yeah. tension between the music and the lyrics, but they also go yeah. really well together. Yeah, that works for me. Totally. <laughs> totally. I mean, all the stupid days definitely suggests Rufel. You know, all the stupid days is not yes, like Yay! exactly. That's that's true. That's true. It's true. Yeah, I, I um, dropped in a, a little uh, a little 
mention of this band the empty set which was like one of the first bands i was ever in it was just like me and three friends who just recorded on a four track it was like my first first experience recording four track stuff so i just i threw that in that line that that's all that's left is the empty set or something like that because uh, uh, but no no one would get that but you know except but now for, they will yeah exactly there there you go yeah uh-huh. well to go back to the theme of this record when you look back on, you know, how you fell in love with music, like what was, what were the first records that you, you know, fell in love with, obsessed over? I can, I can tell you. Yeah. Yeah. I keep this on my piano, right. Monster all, mash all, all, all the time. Cause it's, it's kind of like a, the real, it's, it's kind of the, uh, the, the moment that I fell in love <laughs> with rock and rock and roll was when I was like a little kid. And my, my dad brought that, he, he brought like a, some some point he worked at Sears. At some point he brought home the the peppermint twist, the peppermint twist record, um, because like it was like 1962 or something, and everybody was into doing the twist. You know, it was a big right. it was a big craze. And my dad, who has no interest in music really at all, for some unknown reason, brought home that record because they thought it was funny, uh, I guess. And so. I kind of like, I was like, Oh, I like this, this twist thing. It's, there's something about it that I really, I really like, you know, I don't know. It was just the beat. And then he brought home the monster mash. Cause he thought the kids will like this, you know, this is a, a funny movie. Cause he knew I loved monster movies and stuff like that. So he brought that home and that just, that, that record just knocked me out. I just listened to it over and over and over and over again. And partly was because it was monsters and, and, but, but it, I think it was just really, it was the beat is the rock and roll beat that just swept me away, you know? Um, and I still, uh, I still, still love it. You know, I love that song when, it, when I was a kid too, I remember they played on like WLS around, yeah. uh, you know, Halloween or something. And, and you'd love to, and it was fun to sing when you're a kid, the monster mouse. Yeah. 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 Well, the, the whole record's really good too. Like the whole record is all, there each 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 song is kind of like a, a pastiche of another kind of popular rock and roll song then you know they're they're ripoffs it's kind of like the ruddles you know in a weird way <laughs> but but um but i didn't know that i just thought hey this is a really this is rock and roll this is great you know um and uh my my brother who's younger than me actually is he he proposed that we do a Halloween album this year because it's the 60th anniversary of the Monster Mash album, and he knows how much I love it. But I don't know if we're gonna. He, he suggested this to me like a week ago, so it's gonna be a little bit last minute for us. Yeah, to you got to turn it around pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I don't think it. I don't think it'll happen. It might have to wait till next year, but but I, I like the idea. It's gonna be. Uh, it, it's really cool. But that got me going, and then and then you know like a a few months later, January '63, my dad again inexplicably brought home the 45 of I want to hold your hand by the Beatles. And then it was, then it was all over. It was totally, it was all over. <laughs> he wow. probably really, he probably really regrets it. <laughs> so do you remember February 64 uh, watching yeah. Beatles on Ed Sullivan? Was that a yeah, game, game changing thing for you? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Um, it was, it was, yeah. I mean, we would actually watch Ed Sullivan all the time anyway, but I, he because he had brought the I want to hold your hand 45 a couple weeks before that so it was like yeah J- January 64 I guess um you know um 
I was already well well primed and ready and ready to to watch them and uh and I was just I don't I don't even know what it was about it but I mean you know it's the same thing that everybody else experienced just magical you know and it just uh I, I went down that road and I never never wavered from it <laughs> still so at what point did still, you get your still love the Beatles you know so <laughs> they're they're still they they're still everything to me you know you still you have a song about the Beatles on Stroke Manor so. Yes, that's right. Well, that they were, they were essential in me coming back from the stroke because Peter, Peter was there in the hospital and uh, and I was in ICU and couldn't talk or anything. And um, he just had an iPod. He just made a playlist of of Beatles, probably you know a couple hundred songs, and it just went. He just put it on, and it was just kept going on all, all the on and on and i just um it kind of kind of brought me it, it, it you know i started i started thinking about the words and trying to trying to remember them and trying to remember song titles and stuff like that of i made a list of i tried to make a list of all the beatles songs that i could think of you know and um when i when i could actually write this is a few days later and uh so yeah, they they were essential essential to me coming back. And then when I started playing shows again, um, in like five five months six months after the after the stroke, I I did these therapy sessions. They were called at um, there were afternoon late late early happy hour shows at uh, this little club in Portland called the Laurel Thirst, and um, I played a lot of mostly Beatles songs and Neil Young songs and whatever songs of mine that, that I could sort of remember, <laughs> you know, I had to read the lyrics, but they were the songs, the, the songs that I had the best, the best chance to, that were in my brain that, that I might be able to find them in my brain somehow. Yeah. Were the, were these the songs that were just kind of the most deeply embedded in you? Like, you know, yes. when you're yes. a kid and you're like listening to the Beatles uh obsessively that's just going to be there all the time and you know yeah. monster mash as well yeah that's what it was but you know I, when we first started doing those i i had to I, I was reading all the words even mine and and even and even um all the beatles and neil young ones but i remember like sometime like on the the second week or something at one point i was i real i the the first verse of rollover beethoven just appeared in my brain and I was just like, oh my God, there, there is something there. There is something there. They're not, they're not completely gone. I just had to find a way back to them. So it was like that first verse of Roller Beethoven just popped into my head, and I was like, all oh, right, it's, 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 it could, it could happen, you know. <laughs> so and they've been, you know. So then they started coming back gradually. I started learning them, and so the Beatles ones and the Neil Young songs and a few other ones that I played for over many years and, and the early the early young fresh fellows songs are the ones that i can remember the most because i played mm. those for so many years so those are the ones that i can i can still remember the best the stroke was november of 2017 so it's almost five years and and one of the things i wanted to know and this is what we're talking about is is how much music played how much of a role music played in your recovery Oh, it was, it was everything. It was everything, you know? I mean, it was just, it was kind of all I could think about really. Um, I mean, like I said, Peter kind of put me back into, to in touch with 
by putting the, the, the Beatles music on loop. And then uh, the, one of the nurses at the, at the ICU at some point said, why don't you listen to something else? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know if he was getting bored, but he, he put a little playlist together for me. I was like, okay, you know, and, and it had um, uh, Uncle John's band by the Grateful Dead on it, which, you know, I'd heard the song a million times. I loved it, you know, I, I loved it, but I, it's like, I never heard it before. You know, that was, it was, it was kind of like things were new to me. My brain was, it was really different. And I heard that song and it was just like, that was really magical. I just listened to that over and over and over and over again. So wow. Wow, that's really a special place for me. And, um, and it was like, yeah. And, and then, and then, you know, it was, everybody said, well, we'll come over and we'll play songs with you and let's, let's get it going. So people started coming over and we would strum few few things and and i and i started working on the stroke manor stuff because i i was actually writing those lyrics in the in the hospital i mean i didn't even know they were lyrics i was just i was just writing whatever if i could think of any words i would write them down because it was i couldn't think of any any words so so i mean they, they're kind of gibberish in a way but but i just went with it when i started when I got home and I started being able to play a little bit, record a little bit, um, that was huge to me. And it was also, I remember when Peter, Peter plucked, plunked a guitar in my lap when I was still in the ICU. And I didn't know if I wouldn't know how to play chords. Cause you know, some people like Dave Davies and right. uh, people who had strokes, they had to totally learn, start learning guitar over again. And I, he put the guitar in my lap and I, my hand went right to making a, a minor chord or whatever. So I was like, Oh, that's good. That's good. I, I haven't forgotten how to play guitar, you know? So I can't play it very well, but, but I could, I could remember, you know, I could remember how to do it. So that was, that was, that was easy. But then, yeah, like I said, the whole, I, my whole drive was just to get back on stage and play again and see if I could, if I could do it, you know? Well, I remember seeing you at, with the baseball project. I think it was within a year of that. You were at Space yeah, was, in Evanston, and and first, I was that was the first touring first tour I did. Well, it was like five days or something, but it's the first time I went out and played uh, out of, outside of Portland. Yeah, no, I was I was so happy to see you, and I was like, oh my god, this is so amazing and so great because. Yeah. Um, you know, you sounded great and looked great. And I was like, wow, you know, cause, cause, cause you just never know, obviously. And you, you, I mean, you went through it and you, you know, you didn't know. So, I mean, how did that feel to be able to sort of get back on the road at that point? Oh, that was amazing. I remember, I think the first show was at Kiki's in, uh, in Madison maybe. And, it, you know, there was like 50 people there and I had a music stand set up and everything. And it was really nerve wracking for me, but it was just like, it felt so good. And everybody, I mean, I fed so much off of the the crowd, you know, people just, just really, you know, definitely felt the love, you know? Yeah. It was, it was really, it was really cool. Yeah. So, so you're singing, you're playing, you know, there's the songs that you've written and you, you have to remember them. Like what was sort of, what was sort of the most challenging part of doing all that? Remembering the words. <laughs> <laughs> all it still is it still is it's it's still a constant constant problem for me you know to to remember the words because i used to know i used to know hundreds of songs i had them in my head you know i was really good at at words and now i just uh i just can't um they you know 
they they sort of start to make a make a way where if i if i play a song every night you know for a while and then maybe i'll start to remember it but then if i i go away from it for a couple of weeks it's gone again um you know it's just like it's, it's just a, it's just a constant constant effort you know yeah so i mean there are a lot of there are a lot of musicians as they get older who are i notice you know using tablets to oh yeah it's sure. a lot of i mean it's hard to remember lyrics just in general yeah. you know and yeah. you have a you have a lot of songs so yeah i do have you ever yeah, counted so them i i can't i can't be really embarrassed about it because like you said i i know i know people who who use crutches like that and and uh and i somehow i can't bring myself to using a tablet that just seems like it's too i mean i don't have anything against it but it's it's for me it just seems like i'm giving up <laughs> whereas if i have a music stand it's like i'm being really obvious about it you know and and it's still um i don't know i sometimes i so i i do i've done sh shows on occasion without it you know when i feel pretty confident but i'm always going to forget the words of songs now it's just it's just it's just a given you know i kind of i sometimes i just kind of sing gibberish too you know because sometimes even without even trying to sometimes when i'm telling my brain to say a word something different comes out of my mouth you know there's still still some some lines of com communication that don't kind of gel up you know don't kind of max up mix, match up um right me so but you know i mean i'm not complaining because i'm i'm lucky you know i'm lucky that i can do it at all you know so i'm i could have been could have been so much worse so i'm i feel super lucky that um i can still write songs make music you know I well can, and again you got you I can, have I can pretend to play guitar <laughs> well, you've got you've got three unreleased uh, albums sitting there you know P peter yeah. gabriel should put out that many albums in 10 years so <laughs> yeah um yeah. but and and i mean like stroke manor is a really cool record like musically and lyrically it's a little bit rough because like this rough in terms of emotionally just because it's it's apparent what you've been going through and the process yeah. you used so it's this very kind of naked record in terms of you being really you know honest about where you are but it's also like this bracing thing because the songs are really cool and you got they're well structured and they got good melodies and the lyrics are really good and and it's like it's it's kind of this incredible achievement and uh you know i don't know if you feel that way about it but uh, it's it's an awfully cool record i do i do feel really really proud of that record i i really i really like it i think it's um yeah i mean besides besides what it represents i just think it's it's really good music you know I, I i don't know because because it was it was it was like a new experience the songs felt like they were coming from a different place too i mean the lyrics of course were but musically i was still finding my way with playing playing guitar and stuff like that too so i think i took a little different some of the songs kind of sounded sounded different than me they didn't sound like things i would have typically write even though they ended up being pop songs in a, in a way you know but um but they, they felt like they came from a, a fresh a fresh place for me you know was it was goodbye braverman really, really, really dark place but you know but yeah uh, it, it was good yeah and i think i'd seen somewhere the goodbye braverman was that like the first one you wrote i don't 
know if that that was the first one I put out. I, I released a, a really early version of it on the internet, right. but it, it wasn't the. That's first probably one. why I'm thinking that. Oh, it, it might have been one of the first ones I recorded. I, I can't remember what order I recorded them in. I think I think the first one that I wrote lyrically was um, maybe the 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 Beatles one. One one of those I I mean some of those I wrote like like three or four days like after the stroke. I mean maybe not maybe five or six days. You know when I started, I think. I think there maybe place and folk might've been one of those. Hey, I was going to say place and folk is one where it has like, it just sounds like this nice pop song, but there's something just a little bit off about it. Oh, there's, it's the lyrics are way off, but just a little yeah, bit I, off. Yeah. I, I really, I really love that. I love that song. I mean, I didn't even, you know, it's not even a word place and place and isn't even a word, you know, but it, I just, I thought it was <laughs> at the time, <laughs> you know, so there, there's definitely a few, a few made up words in on that record too, that um, just kind of came out. And so I thought, well, I guess I got to go with it. <laughs> I could change I would, it, but I was like, nah, that would defeat the purpose or. Yeah. I, I collaborated with uh, this uh, Chicago musician, Steve Dawson on this book about songwriting. And he has, he has these, uh, he teaches, he teaches at the old town school of folk music and has some of the exercises at the end of the book. And one of them, which I wrote the song off of and liked was to, you know, write a, write a song in which, um, the, the, the lyrics you choose totally for the sound of the words and not for what they mean. Right. And, and it's like the sort of liberating thing to write for just like fitting, you know, again, if, if you're talking about that, that mathematical thing where you've come up with the music first, yeah. um, to just sort of free associate in a way and, and let it just sort of happen. I mean, it's, it's not like you want to be forced to write that way, but it's an interesting way to write too, and can kind of unlock some right. stuff that maybe you would, you know, rationally not put in a song otherwise. Yeah. I think a lot of people do that who, who really are strong on melody, like, like Jeff, Tweedy, you know, he, he writes, I think he comes up with a, he sits there with the guitar and he comes up with a melody and he starts singing along with it, but it's not always like real words, you know? And, um, the one that, one that I wrote with him on the Wilco record, um, taste the ceiling was like that. He, he, he had sung it and he said, yeah, these aren't really words. So if you can take it and make them into words. And I, I said, yeah, I will. But, you know, I used a lot of what he had used as just place, place in placement, you know, because, because they were weird lyrics. They didn't really make sense, but, but they're great, you know, and, and he's, he's a guy who, who loves to, to do words based on sound too, not absolutely on meaning. So, so it worked out really well. That was a really nice collaboration because he had a great melody. He had some kind of, some kind of words that, didn't really make sense, but I could grab what I want to do and then I could make it into something that made a little more sense, you know? So that was, that was really cool. Did, did you know that Jeff Tweedy was going to name check you and let's go rain before that song just came out? Uh, -uh. I mean, well, I, I, I did because he sent me the song, the, I think it was the original version of the song. I, you know, I don't know if he, he sent me that song, like, in the, at the when I was in the still in the ICU in the hospital, like like three or four days later, he he called me up and I I couldn't even talk to him on the phone, but he he talked to me on the phone and 
and he said he's he's he sent me this he's he sent me this song they had totally different lyrics it was the lyrics were all about me it wasn't just like you know it wasn't just like that one the one name check it wasn't the whole noah's ark flood no, thing no so i don't know if i don't know which came first if the song came about me or if he just put it if he had the let's go rain and he i think it was probably just like it was probably just a song he was just coming up with and he and then i had the stroke and he he put it put me into it and put the words about me and then i think later he thought well, i'll make this into a, a real song but he still kept me he kept me in there so because i i put the lyrics the lyrics of, of the original version on the back of stroke manor you can you can look at it there. You'll oh, see. I'll have to go check that Those out. Are the original lyrics to to that song. I yeah. did not realize I, that got, was there. I've, I've I've got a recording of it that he sent to me. You know. Um, oh, nice. Still in the hospital, so it's really, really, it it really meant a lot to me. Yeah, no, the lyrics that are there are maybe you're not a believer, or maybe you don't have a choice, or maybe it's a fever that you haven't caught yet because you haven't met Scott McCoy. Yeah. I know it's pretty awesome. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was listening. Cause I, I think I heard him play that live at like, like sort of a radio station, uh, you know, concert, um, before that record had even come out. And I was kind of like, Oh, I know that guy. <laughs> yeah. I know. So, it's really funny. Like you don't want to have to go through obviously what you've gone through, but how, how much has it changed you? Like knowing how many people love you and how much they do, like it's been, I mean, it was, it was real outpouring when this happened. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, I mean, I, it makes me feel guilty <laughs> and embarrassed. Uh, no, <laughs> it does kind of, you know, because I feel like I don't really deserve I don't really deserve that much, you know, love and and uh, and, you know, everybody, everybody gave me so much. You know, there was we had these benefit concerts and, and you know, of course, one of the first things I I could voice when I was trying to talk after the stroke was one of the very first things I said when I could get a thought out and, and, and say, say it was, I told my wife, I said, I said, I said something like no, no fucking kickstarts Kickstarter or something like that. <laughs> no, no benefit concerts or something like that. And, and she just went, it's too late. <laughs> she said, it's too late. It's there. Those are both already hap happening. And I was like, oh. Cause I, I didn't want that. I didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want that kind of sympathy, sympathy and attention. I just, I just don't, I don't know. I, you know, I just, I feel, I don't feel like deserving of it. I feel like I, I got, I've got enough gifts. I've got, I've had enough great things happen to me, you know? So, um, but, but I couldn't stop it. And it was, it was really, really nice. It was really, really nice. I mean, they, they, the the money that they made from those concerts was 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 awesome and you know but like I said I didn't really I didn't really want it but it was it was really really nice of course and but the thing that meant the most to me was when I when I got on stage and played and just seeing how happy people were you know people who were there just were were just really really happy and so that made me feel really great it's amazing. You know, I, I sound like a jerk when I say that I say I didn't want it because I didn't, but no. I, I so appreciate, I so appreciate it. Um, just incredibly. It was, it, like I said, it was, it was totally amazing. I, I didn't even think that that many people would, 
would hear about it or get behind it, you know, that much. But um, um, I mean, it would have been enough just to have those those two little concerts. Well, they're pretty big concerts that we had in, in Portland, you know, those those um, kind of tributes to me or whatever. Um, just the people who played were so amazing. And and uh, it was it was it was incredible. You know, and that I was able to get on stage and play a couple songs, play bass on a couple songs <laughs> was was pretty, pretty amazing, too. It was it was it was that was that would have been enough for me. That would have been enough for me. But I mean, more than I needed or deserved. But it was it was really, really awesome. Really awesome. In those days, we were like. Those days we were kings It's not one thing or the other It's all things all at once You're, you're friends with so many cool uh, musicians are, are there any who just like hate your guts And you feel the same way about them? Uh, I don't I don't hate anybody um, I, I feel like hates really counterproductive <laughs> and you know if you don't like if you don't like somebody's music you can just let it go let it go wherever it goes and you, you don't have to listen to it or anything like that um there's a couple of people who hate me but they're not they're more of more of disgruntled um disgruntled losers <laughs> they're not like, they're, they're not like they're not like people they're not like musicians that I, that I know of and respect or anything like that. You know, there might be some out there. I don't know, <laughs> but um, there's so much great music out there. I, I, I always rather talk about that than, than, you know, somebody who, I mean, there, I probably just a few people that, that I don't really appreciate their music, but I try to avoid it <laughs> in general. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I I don't feel like that many people have have talked about my music that that hate it. It'd probably be better if more people did because it'd be it'd be less like just being ignored. Because a lot of times I just feel like I'm just throwing throwing music out there against the wall and and nobody hears it really. You know, because I mean, I'm I'm in a pretty small little world of 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 music. I mean, you know, I played in REM and everything, so I know what that's like, but. Um, but you know, it's for, for me, just making music in the, in the basement, it has to be enough for me because I can't really count on, you know, nothing's, nothing's going to, going to change the world or, or, or get a huge reaction. You know, it's not, I'm not going to get on the radio or anything like that, you know, but I'm just happy that there's, there's, um, you know, a few thousand people out there who, who like to like what I do, you know, and like to listen. When you started out, did you have these kind of dreams of, you know, massive commercial success and, and no. that sort of thing? No, I, I never, never, never could have even imagined. I couldn't even imagine that I would actually could like make a living. I wasn't even thinking about that. I just did it as a, as a, um, a as a fun thing. Cause I just love, I love music so much. It was just about getting together with your friends who all love the same music you love and, and playing 
playing together and drinking beer and having a good time, you know, and that's what, that's what the fellows was too. And the fact that the fellows kind of, kind of took off to a degree that I could think about, you know, not having another job. Um, that was crazy. <laughs> that was right. crazy. And, and I thought, well, maybe I'll do this for a year and then I'll go back to working at the record store or whatever, you know, but um, just kind of kept, kept limping along at a point where I could, I could sort of get by, by, by playing music without having a real job, you know? Um, and so somehow I'm still there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you have all those records with the young, fresh fellows. And then as you, as you mentioned, you also became the, the auxiliary member as they always refer to it, or at least on online when I see it of REM. Um, we, we, we call it the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, that's what Peter calls it. <laughs> cause he says, cause we came out of, you know, after a, after a concert at the back of a stadium or whatever, and, and they walk out and, you know, they some, you hear somebody yelling, Hey, there's Michael. And Hey, there's Peter. Hey, there's that other guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm always that other guy, the other guy. <laughs> was, was the monster tour your first time playing with them? Yeah. The first show I did with them was, um, was Saturday night live. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, that was for the Monster Tour, but it was, you know, it was uh, in October, I guess, of 94. And then the tour was in 95. So, yeah, that was the, my first first time. So what was it like? I mean, having been, you know, having your own band for so long, what was it like, um, you know, becoming the other guy in this this other band? It was cool. I I, I liked it. I mean... In in one ways, I felt I felt like there was more pressure because I felt like I really wanted to do a good job that they're entrusting me with, and and it's kind of a big deal because they're they're paying me really well, and they're we're going and playing for thousands of people, and you know this this is kind of a big deal for them doing this tour and everything. So I felt pressure to to perform well, but on the other hand, I felt like. You know, after once I got used to it a little bit, I thought this is like easier than than being the guy who has to be the front front man and has to sing all the songs and talk talk in the mic between songs, everything like that. So, kind of a little bit of give and take. You know, there was I kind of missed that a little bit, but on one hand, it was it was really fun to just be playing guitar and keys and bass and playing great great songs. You know. Yeah. That, didn't really have anything to do with at the beginning. Then later on, I kind of felt like I, I had some input on the songs and everything, you know, when we started recording, uh, when I started playing all the sessions and everything too, because I didn't play on Monster, you know. Because New Adventures in Hi-Fi was basically written on that tour and a lot yeah. of it was even recorded on that tour. So I was, yeah. I'm curious what that creative process was like uh, from your point of view. Um, it was just like every day we would sound check and, they'd have Peter or Mike or would have a new, a new idea to come with, come up with it. And we'd start playing it at soundcheck. And then we just kept adding on to them, adding on to them and playing more and more of those as we went along. And uh, Michael would kind of start singing along on some of them. And it was just like kind of the way they put together a record, you know, and a lot of the, the actual real lyrics got written afterwards. Um, but but the tracks, a lot of the tracks were done at sound checks and everything like that. And some of them, some of them, Michael had 
a few Finnish lyrics that he, he came up with really quickly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, it was really fascinating to put him, put him together like that. Now it's like, it's kind of like, um, the way, I mean, it seems normal to me now because <laughs> right. we're, we're always working on new stuff. Peter always wants to move forward. You know, he always wants to move forward. He's not ever about looking back. He, he's, he wants to do the next record. It's always about the next record. You know, he came over yesterday and put down a new song to send to Luke, Luke Haynes. And the last record isn't even out yet. And he's, he's sending Luke new songs to, to write, you know, so that's just the way it goes <laughs> well that seems like one of the things that bonds you two is that you're you're both just these musicians first who are always creating and it doesn't really matter you know who you're playing in front of and you know what the name of your band is you're just always creating and moving forward yeah that's that's what it's all about for sure <laughs> yeah I, I i'm always excited to to make new new music you know i don't know i don't know if i'm as as driven as as Peter is, but I guess, I guess we both are. We both, we, we both really are. We both always want to keep, keep creating, you know, cause it's like, <laughs> we're like, what are, what are we going to do otherwise? You know, that's just what we do. You know, they're creating these songs sort of on the fly. Um, were there any, where you were like, Holy cow, that's really an unusual song or really cool song. And yeah, there were, there was some of them were kind of more typical and other ones were really, really weird like um the ones like like leave you know which is one where leave and uh undertow were both ones where i was playing this arp arp odyssey synthesizer where it's just like making noise with it are you are you the one going that's me that's me that's you me exactly yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah so so some of those were like who knows what's going to happen with these? Who knows where these are going to go? You know, but um, but they turned out really, really cool. <laughs> they turned out really cool. And there was that weird little instrumental that we did in the in the in the dressing room um, and um, zither, I think it was called, um, right? Where I'm playing an auto harp, so this doesn't have zither on it. I think everybody just thought you're playing that thing what is it uh, it's an auto heart but they called it zither so um so yeah i mean there was some it was kind of anything goes kind of thing with with that i mean it was a um they just thought it'd be really cool to make a record on the road you know and and um it was um yeah i think i think it was really i think it came out really good it's a really good record really good yeah, it's it's one that holds up. I mean, like at the time, I thought because it's really long, and I thought, oh, you know, I mean, this could have maybe been tightened up a little bit. But it's it's a it's all sort the, of a all the records are too long. <laughs> it's a weird. The, I blame I blame it on CDs. CDs. No, the CD ones, right? The CD eras are ones are yeah. Like when you're listening to Reckoning, it's like 41 minutes or something like that. But yeah. then the later ones got a little a little longer. Um, it's like it's like the difference. You know, it's like Elvis Costello. You know, you got Spike and. Um, all those useless beauty or whatever. Those are, those are great records, but they're just, they're over an hour long. And, and the same thing could be said for, for up and, and around the sun and reveal and all those they're right. They're all, they're all like an hour long. And, and then the last two, the songs are all great. All the songs are great. So, so I get why they put them all out, but, but it's like, 
it's it makes it a lot more sense to make it be a 40 a 40 minute record is just just long enough you know 40 40 plus I, it's yeah, it's, yeah. with vinyl coming back it's the 40 minute album has come back so i appreciate that yeah um, or now or now they're all the cds are long and they and the it get a double vinyl so so it costs like 35 dollars to write that to too there is that yeah. which is you but, know which i'm i'm saying we just did that with the, the new no one's record um it's 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 pretty long and we but we we trimmed we made the the record itself to be like 40 40 minutes or 42 minutes and and uh then there's like six or seven extra songs that go on the double vinyl so oh so the vinyl so, will be longer than the cd vinyl's longer yeah the vinyl's longer because it, it makes sense to me because you're paying you're paying a lot more for the vinyl so you should get you should get the extra songs you could put them all on the cd but i don't like a 60 minute cd <laughs> it's too long so and and it, cds cost ten dollars so you know that's it, it's 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 a it's a weird thing but like like all this all the stupid days isn't on the album really it's not you know it's 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 on the vinyl but it's not on the it's not on the the record it's not <laughs> on the cd you, that yeah on the cd that tells you how strong of a record it's going to be wow okay <laughs> well the, well and it's because it didn't fit the concept so so maybe that's part yeah, of it yeah, too yeah and how how soon into that monster tour did bill barry have his aneurysm three three months into it and then we took like um we postponed a bunch of and he took like six weeks off or something maybe it wasn't as long as you might think right and, uh, and then it came back and we rescheduled stuff and it went for another six six months or something after after he came. was there a different feel on the tour afterwards we we took it a little easier a little easier right i mean i mean the this it was still a grueling grueling tour though and and bill bill just we just looked out for bill you know just looked out for him you know was was it clear by the end of the tour that he was gonna leave the band not from not to me not to me no um i think that came pretty much as a surprise i i think i think um it happened when we we went to athens we started working on new demos for the uh well, i mean it was after after new adventures because so, so he he worked on new adventures after the tour right. you know he, he recorded the, with that and everything but um then they didn't tour on that and then when we were doing demos for and starting recording on up that was when bill just kind of had a little meeting in athens and said yeah i don't think i want to do this anymore so i and i think i think they were actually kind of surprised because i mean we've gone there to start working on a record so hmm. <laughs> they weren't expecting him to um to to quit at that point yeah yeah i always kind of assumed that his songwriting contributions were maybe i, don't, I wouldn't say overlooked because i don't know how much people look at him or not but that they that they were significant and that you know having him out of the band aside from the drumming but also from the songwriting collaboration point of view was you know a pretty big loss for them yeah, it is. It is. That's why. That's why we went with a totally different direction, you know, because <laughs> up up just became became like, well, let's just do whatever kind of stuff we want. Let's not. I, they were there wasn't any effort to try to make it sound like, you know, uh, like a, a classic REM record. You know, they said let's just go with 
go with weird loops and go with drum machines and all that stuff and just see where see where it goes and i think it was a really really cool record actually i love i love love that album so when you were going to demo those songs that that direction wasn't there yet that sort of came after he he left yeah i mean they were they were already leaning into doing some some more experimental things but um but yeah, we didn't, I mean, it was literally like a day or two into doing demos that, that Bill made the decision and yeah. all that. So, so then we were kind of like lost for, we we're like, well, now what do we do? <laughs> you know, and we recorded a few, I mean, I think Barrett, Barrett Martin and I sort kind of worked on a couple of songs we'd started and then we just went home. <laughs> <laughs> you know and then and then we figured out what was what they decided to, they decided to carry on i mean bill had bill had actually made that as part of the deal he said he goes i'll keep going if you want me to but i don't want to do it but you have to tell me you're going to continue going as a, as a band if I he didn't want to be the one who ended rem right exactly how did you, by the way, just, just, I mean, not dwell on this, but I know because Peter Hulsapple had played with the band and then there was some, you know, hard feelings over some of the songwriting credits and stuff. How did you guys avoid having that issue? It was in the contract. <laughs> it, it was kind of like in the contract was like for, for us extra people on the monster tour said like, if the, if the band starts working on a new song, you should leave the stage um and you know the the band is the band the, the band gets credited with the songs and all that stuff so i mean i they, which didn't even matter to me because i wouldn't have ever i wouldn't have ever said i deserve a songwriting credit for for playing an instrument on a song even if i added something that was cool i mean that's not writing that's not songwriting to me peter and i always say that's that's arranging you know and then and, and you know you the songs are the the words the 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 melody and the and the the chords you know that's 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 songwriting you know and so i mean it's kind of different now because now songwriting's gotten so wrapped up into just creating music by by making loops and you know you you got all these records every record has like every song's written by 12 people you know <laughs> yeah it's so, crazy you know, which is just kind of like hilarious to me because <laughs> i mean I, I think it's it's good music it, it doesn't but i don't know about that being songwriting you know because i think i'm i think i'm more songwriting more as a classical a cl classical thing you know backrack and david you know or whatever or elton john and bernie toppin you know i mean or bob dylan you know that's those are that's that's songwriting you know um it's it's not it's not that it's not that i played a synth part on this song that even <laughs> it's a featured part or whatever you know it doesn't necessarily mean that it should get songwriting credit you know but it seemed like one of the ways that rem stayed together for so long was because they sort of figured out the whole exactly. sharing songwriting you know the, royalties and credit and all of that of up. the band yeah that's how they kept that's how they kept it going because they split everything equally so that was so so that was good. So they they wanted to protect that, you know, protect right. that unit, unit, that unit, you know. And I I get I get that. And as far as us leaving the stage whenever they started working on a song or any, that that went out the window instantly, you know, <laughs> because they knew they knew I wasn't going to do anything like that, you know. I wasn't right. So I mean, I'm not saying anything against Peter Holzapple. He's a he's a great guy, and and uh, he probably got some bad advice, you know some 
bad bad legal advice at that point and uh you know so i you know i don't i don't know when we talked he he looked back very regretfully on just the whole thing and was very happy that he had sort of you know reconciled with them later and you know hugged mike mills and and all of that and is is in the loop with all of that because these are all you know i think we'll be seeing him soon i think i think he's playing this rm concert that we're doing in athens at atlanta in december i think i think peter holds is gonna be part of it i hope so i'm not sure what is that concert it's like a i think um chris and rick robinson are putting it together it's like a tribute to 40 years of of rem of 40 years since since chronic town or something like that I mean, it's, it's going to be like a 40 watt. It's not like a big, big deal, but you know. Is, are, are the REM guys going to play at it? Um, the band is definitely not going to play. <laughs> the band REM is definitely not going to play, but um, I imagine, um, you know, at least Peter and Mike and Bill will probably make an appearance, but I, you know, it's, it definitely won't be a reunion kind of situation. That's not going to happen. Right. They're not, they're not interested in that clearly. No, 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 no. no. I want to ask you last about um, the, the young fresh fellows album, toxic youth, which came out in 2020, but was recorded before your stroke. Yes, it was, it was, um, it was done. Yeah. It was that summer in 2017. And it kind of sat around for a while after, after the stroke, but, um, but yeah, we had, we had um, done it because um, Conrad Uno was closing his egg studios, which is the place where we recorded our first five or six records in, uh, in Seattle. And he was closing the studio after, after 30 plus years. And we thought, Oh man, we gotta, we gotta go and record for, do a session before, before you, you, you call it a, a day. And so we got a weekend and, um, we said we can maybe do like four or five songs or something. Three, three, three songs. I think we had three songs that we'd actually been played at that point, and we thought we can go record those three songs. Maybe add another one or two, and we ended up recording seventeen songs in the in the two days. And uh, so then we thought, well, let's make it into an album. And it took a while for it to get finished, but um, but uh, I, I really love that record. It was a, it was such a great experience to get back and work with Uno again and uh, and do it do a real band record. It was really fun. Is it good for you when you have a prompt like that, like oh the studio's closing or oh Lounge Axe is closing oh, or totally. oh you know there's some baseball thing I want to write about? Like does that get you going? Totally, totally. I mean there was, I mean a lot of the the record that became minus five in rock was written kind of because of that you mentioned lounge, lounge acts. Acts. Yeah. and i went i went and did you know they said yeah come come back we'll go back you up and we we, we got to have you there and so i went back and so i came up with a i did this quick demo of like 15 songs and sent it to to jeff and and uh we ended up playing a bunch of those songs that had never been played they're all brand new and um and then I ended up, a lot of those songs ended up being the minus five in rock. They were recorded with other people, but, um, but so yeah, it's always good to have a, a goal, something like that. Like um, I'm really, I really like having um, an assignment and pressure. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, uh, you know, like, like when on the pandemic thing, I, I, I created those, 
false things for me. Like when the pandemic started, I thought, well, now what am I going to do? Because I was supposed to be on tour and had all these records coming out. And now I was like, now what am I going to do? And so then they they started doing the band camp thing where they had the the free first Friday of every month. They wouldn't take any uh, take a percentage. So so it's like I, I've never done anything on Bandcamp. I should do something. So it was like it was like um, April fourteenth or something. And I or, and I said, well, I've got two weeks until the next Bandcamp free day comes out. So I'm gonna make a record hmm. in, in these two weeks. So I did. I recorded like twelve songs and and finished it and got it out in time. And I was like, that was really fun. That was really exciting. You know, and a lot of people were into it. People, I, and so, so I said, okay, well now my birthday's coming up. I'll, I'll do a birthday record to me. So I had like a couple months to do that. <laughs> and I did that and got it out on August 1st. And then, and then I was like, okay, now I'm, um, Neil Young's 70, 75th birthday is coming up in November 15th. So I did a Neil Young record, get it out by that existed to get it out by that day, and I did it. So, so yeah, I I, I definitely respond well to uh, to having something, having a a project that you know that has a focus. Yeah, for sure. Are you still able to work at the pace that you were working at before the stroke? Because it seems like you're still awfully productive. I I am, but but it's it's harder to write songs. It's harder to write songs, and and it's a little harder to rec- to to play. The recording is a little harder for me too. I mean, the performance on uh, instruments is, it's my guitar playing is eh, not, not the, in the best shape. Um, so that makes it a little hard. And it's a lot harder for me to write words too. So that's why I, I've been, I, I, sometimes I use these um, doing covers to get, to get the juice going. Like I'll record some more Neil Young songs. And uh, and that kind of gets me going a little bit, but yeah, it's it's a it's a little harder. It's harder. I feel like I've slowed down a lot, but it doesn't seem like it because I've always got music coming out. <laughs> it, it, yeah, to, slowing down for you is still like you know five careers worth of music for someone else. So yeah, yeah. But you know, it's also I mean I I cheat a little bit because a lot of those songs, some some of the ones on the sad box, the one that came out at the beginning of that pandemic were were brand new, but a lot of them were ones that I'd written. Like probably some were be- dated before the the stroke, even you know, because I, I always I find out I always have a lot of songs lying around. <laughs> Part of the reason I asked about the Toxic Youth uh, Young Fresh Fellows album is that it has this kind of wise perspective of you having gone through what you've gone through, and yet it was written before it. But I mean, like yeah. a, a song like Never Had It Bad, uh, where you're just like, don't be sad because I never had it bad, and uh, you know. That could have been. It could have been something you would have written after your yeah, stroke, but, I, but, it's... but I felt. But I felt that way before that because I always feel. I always feel lucky. I was. I mean, I've. I've been the luckiest guy in 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 rock and roll. You know, because I've just. I've just been super lucky to be able to do it. You know, and and I. I don't feel like I'm the most talented guy out there. Uh, in fact, I wrote a song. This is one that that's lying around that's been lying around forever that I haven't ever recorded called the the least talented man in showbiz. <laughs> no, and, that's just, and, and, and that, that's just about how lucky I've been, you know, lucky I've been, you know, to to get to do it, you know, because um, I do kind of feel that way sometimes. <laughs> but Gear- I guess I'm lovable. 
<laughs> your, your song gear summer starts with a great couplet friends are breaking up friends are breaking down yeah i think that just kind of sums up uh sums up a certain point of life that was a it was you know it's gear summer 2013 because that we've been playing that song for for three or four years i mean not very often because we weren't, weren't playing very often but but i wrote that song in spain when uh we were on tour with um with robin uh robin and uh and then we were doing back-to-back tours with the venus three and the fellows and uh it was it wasn't a good time for everybody there was a lot of a lot of breaking up and breaking down and uh and yeah. so it was kind of a dismal summer um so of course i i wrote it called it gear summer i made it sound like it was fun but right but but you could tell from the lyrics it wasn't very fun <laughs> is, is it, should it be fab summer or gear summer and you went with right, gear summer, yeah, right. which is more fun exactly yeah when you write now do you do you like record demos or do you sit with a guitar or you, you sort of, I mean, you, you have your sort of notebook with your lyrics and then just kind of work out stuff on a keyboard or on a guitar. Or how does the whole thing work? It, it, it totally, totally varies. I mean, I, I, I use the phone to, if I've, if I've got something that sounds like a song with words and, and music, I'll, I'll often put it down on the, just on the phone, just play acoustic guitar and sing a little bit just so I can remember it basically. Cause I, I will forget it otherwise if I don't. So sometimes I go through my phone and I find, Oh, that was a, that sounded like a good song. You know, that sounded like something was going there. And so I can finish it. But typically when Peter and I, or, or, or just me by myself, when I demo something on my studio at home, it often ends up not being a demo <laughs> because, because we, we love, we, we have the, we love demo we're, we're, we're kind of got the eternal demo itis, you know, like the demo is always the better, the best, the best one. So, so, you know, I end up usually thinking of it as a demo and then we go, well, that's really pretty good. Why don't we just use that? So there's a lot of that going on. <laughs> a lot of demos that turn into records, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a great rock tradition of that as well. So, you yes. know, get, get the first, that first feeling of that song turns out to be the most authentic one. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing that's different is like the, the, um, the baseball project, we always get together and record. So, so, you know, I actually do pretty good demos for those songs sometimes. And, uh, so those are, but those always get, we always get together and play as a band. So, so that's good. I like, I like being able to do that too, but the, there's some that I go back, Oh, the demo's pretty cool too. So maybe I'll do something with those sometime. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever asked either you or Steve, how you guys got together to do that originally um it was it was just um we were at the rock and roll when when rem was getting in the rock and roll hall of fame they had a party the night before at a, a restaurant and we were drunk and said you know yeah i want to i want to make a a song an album about baseball and i go i want to make a song about baseball i had that idea <laughs> first and, and actually i remember that he steve and i had talked about it before one other time when we we'd met and he didn't remember that but i i remembered it and um because i didn't really remember talking about it tonight sorry i'm one because i guess uh i was the drunker one that night or whatever but um but anyway we we both remembered it and we started demoing songs and just throwing them back and forth with each other and uh we're like this is this is happening so we 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 turned we'd exchange like two or three songs each and and then i booked a studio in portland 
in in december and so that was like okay it's happening you guys are flying out so let's so let's write the rest of the song so we had a we had an assignment we had a date that we had to have them done by so uh, so so it worked in that situation too steve and linda flew in and you and peter were there and you just knocked it yeah. out so to yeah. speak yeah knocked yeah. it out of the park five-day session um i think uh, maybe it was a little longer but maybe a week but um it, it was we, we got a lot done in that time we work really fast i mean steve and peter are both the most the 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 quickest workers in the studio they like they like to get things going and get them and get it going really fast i'm pretty i'm pretty quick too you know when you're when you're in a band with another songwriter like that and obviously you've been in bands with peter who's a songwriter how how much of like their how much of what they do sort of rubs off on what you're doing like do you sort of does your songwriting change because you're writing on an album with steve win uh you know as well as you know when you're writing with peter um not really i mean steve and i are pretty good at um finishing our songs ourselves and then we and then we send them to each other and ask what do you think and and we can make pointers and make um little changes here and there and stuff like that so we're, we're really good at, at working on each other's songs without um but keeping them you know it's always a steve song but we we like getting the input from each other and linda's linda's really uh really really good at that too so and Mike, of course, is is great too. So it's it's all this this new album is a little more collaborative. Peter wrote a fair amount of the songs, like I think three or four with me, and one or two with Steve too. And Mike wrote one. And um, cool, yeah. The, it's 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 um it's 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 going to be really it's a really cool record. And it was great to do it with Mitch Easter and just I, it was actually great to get in a room and play with people <laughs> and to do it. You know, because I hadn't done that for a couple of years, really. And uh, so that was uh, really nice. And um, yeah, I love the idea that they were recording with Mitch for the first time, probably since Reckoning, I would think. It was. So. It was. I mean, my, Mike had done had done sessions with Mitch of, of, his, of his own, but Peter hadn't worked with Mitch for like 40 years and, and they they hadn't worked together with him for the longest time. So. It was Linda had the, the 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 great idea to do it there, and it, it took us about six years to get it together, but, but we did, and it was uh, it was really fun, really fun. Do you guys have a title for that? Grand Salami Time. Grand Salami Time. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a good one. It's an it's an expression. Is there a title track? Yes, there is. There is. I see. Which I normally wouldn't name a song after a title in the in a a song title on the album. I kind of try to move away from that, but I wrote this song called Grand Salami Time. Uh, Peter and I wrote that one actually. And um, Steve and Linda decided that should be the, the album title. <laughs> like, okay, sounds good to me. <laughs> I started, and I, I cut you off, but you started to say that it was a phrase from Dave. Dave Niehaus, who was uh, the, the famous Seattle Mariners um, broadcaster. And uh, he used to say, when uh, when somebody hit a grand slam, when somebody on the Mariners hit a grand slam, he'd say, uh, "Get out the rye bread and mustard, Grandma! It's grand salami time." <laughs> <laughs> he yelled that like so amazing. So the so the song is kind of about um, catchphrases and these weird things that broadcasters say. Um, it, you know, everybody the weird lingo of baseball. You know that that announcers would 
kind of come up with for their own thing. Um, it's pretty it's great. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. Well, I'm, I, I can't wait to hear it. I, I I've enjoyed all of my, all of my yeah. baseball project albums. And so are you getting on, go get to go out on tour for anything anytime soon or what's your live situation? We're going to go to you, the UK in February to do some, some more Luke Haynes shows like a week, a week of those probably. That's the only thing I have for sure, but I'm hoping the no ones will do some songs, some shows in the spring and the, and the baseball project will, I'm sure when the record comes out. Have the no ones played live yet? We did. We, we, we played um, some shows like in Norway, <laughs> like, like five or five or six years ago or something like that. Yeah. We played, we played, we played some, maybe before the first record keeping came out, but yeah, we, we've, we've played like seven or eight shows, maybe all in, all in Norway. <laughs> are you, are you looking forward to being on the road again? I don't know. I've really gotten used to being at home. I'm really kind of enjoying <laughs> enjoying the pandemic life <laughs> in a weird way. But you know, I think it'll be fun. It, it was it was it was pretty. I mean, I just did um, a two week tour with um, the minus five opening for the NRBQ, and it was really kind of more like the Young Fresh Fellows than the than the minus five, but we called it the minus five. But um, but uh, we did like 10 shows with uh, NRBQ up and down the West coast. And that was really nice. fun. Just, just despite the fact that, that um, COVID COVID entered in and, and caused some problems, but, but, um, but we, we got through it and um, it was great. And the only, the only reason I did it is because I wanted to see NRBQ play every night, <laughs> you know, but, um, but, but it was, it was really fun and we had a great time playing and, um, it was just phenomenal seeing NRBQ every night. And like, so, so that was really great, but, um, but I, I'm kind of not, I'm not really urgently looking for gigs. <laughs> you know, I feel like I should do stuff when these records come out, you know, yeah, give, give them a chance, I guess a little bit. Well, I look forward to hearing the records. Um, and I guess I'll have to get the vinyl of the, the no ones. Cause I want those extra songs. I, I think you will. Yeah. The, the baseball project one is, wasn't quite long enough to be a double album. And so it's all the CD is going to be the same as the vinyl on that one. Okay. Yeah. That's a relief, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I look forward to seeing you or when, whenever and wherever uh, it's always, it's always a treat and it's always great. And I really appreciate I, you, know, you talking you know, I'll to me. I'll be in this. Chicago again. Chicago is my, my, my best place to play. It really is. So, I mean, besides Portland and Seattle, it's kind of, it's kind of the, 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 the most awesome place to play music so we'll be there thanks so much scott take care yeah take, take care mark that's a wrap on episode 53 of carol pop thanks so much to scott mccoy for sharing his love and passion for music and for being so open about his experiences struggles and triumphs over the past several years follow scott on twitter at scott mcminus five and go to minus5.com for news and the minus5.bandcamp.com for music. Look for the new baseball project and the No Ones albums probably early next year. And listen to the No Ones All the Stupid Days in the meantime. Keep an eye out for any of McCoy's other projects as well because you never know what's next. And be sure to explore the back catalogs of the Young Fresh Fellows, the Minus Five, the Baseball Project, and keep going from there. Carol Pop is produced by Chris Swake whom I still consider a young, fresh fellow. 
I'm Mark Caro. Please follow me on Twitter at Mark Caro, at M-A-R-K-C-A-R-O, and visit the Caro Pop website, caropop.com, for posts about music, movies, and food, and also this Carol Pop podcast. Please share, subscribe, tell your friends, and tune in again next week for another Carol Pop conversation. Thanks.